Hello and welcome to The Donfather, a family podcast about the Essendon Football Club. I'm your host, Nick, and as the 17 of our listeners will already know, this is a family podcast in that we're not necessarily a family show, although we're not intending to not be a family show. But what we mean by family podcast is, in fact, that we're all related. And with me tonight, as we had last week, is Matthew. Evening. Uh, Nicky Noodle, or the other Nick, as we like to call him. How we doing? And luckily tonight, we have another relation of our family. Now, Kin is not necessarily a relation in the true sense of the word, in that we have no blood relation. But Kin is a relation in the sense that every Italian family, at some stage or another, adopts an underfed Australian to join their family. Kin, say hello. Good afternoon, boys. How are you? Good. Good to have you, Kin. As always. We're doing pretty well, aren't we? We are. We are. Well, I mean, we'll get into a bit later, but some of the news today has just been, uh, well, perhaps flattening, but also relieving, but we'll we'll dig into it uh, a bit later on. I'm dead set. I am flatter than some Lebanese pita bread. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> Fair we enough. Are, we, yeah. are, we are PC on this show. We are PC. We are very PC. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, I'm a little bit different. Uh, I'm, look, I'd love to see both of them stay, but it's good to just have some you know, relief that, okay, we can, we can move on now and, and get on with it and, and look to, I don't know if you call it, I think I like your term in that it's a course correction more than a full rebuild, but at least we can, you know, we can start, and and whoever you know we bring in won't won't be you know sort of coming in with the ghost of the past few years or anything like that. It's it's a it's a new slate for whoever whatever we, we choose to do from now. Well, we talk of course about the announcements today, well yesterday and today of uh, Adam Saad requesting a trade and and Joe Danaher, you know, and, and perhaps the worst kept secret in Australian football, um, deciding to exercise his right as a free agent. And um, the reports are suggesting that he's going to go to the Brisbane Lions. Now, that it, it's a big day for the Essendon Football Club, a really, really big day, because I get the sense that we as a club right now are at a crossroads. And the decisions we make now and, and the direction we go from this point is going to shape our future for the next decade or so. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. Hey, I, I re- well, no doubt we're going to jump into that, uh, but I reckon our listeners wouldn't mind getting a little uh, insight into the uh, underfed Australian you adopted in Kim Easley. Is this um, is this our unofficial segment story time with Maddie? I re- <laughs> I reckon it could be. The feedback has been quite consistent with uh, Storytime with Maddie, and it's um, of our 17 listeners, uh, all 17 wrote to me and said, geez, I love those stories. So let, let's roll with it. Okay, right. What what uh, what story? Well, can we let Kin first introduce himself and sort of how he came about Essendon and, and then I'll get into stories? How's that? As, as all Australian Italians... Adopted into Italian families. No, you have to pick your moments to speak because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of t- opportunity to get your voice heard. Yeah, well, I think is is now your time, Kim. 
If there's one thing I learned uh, in my time at the Gentili Palace is that in order to be heard, often you have to yell over the eight other people <laughs> attempting to commentate. And I think uh, thus far I would say, if Nick, if you're as flat as Lebanese pita bread, then I'm also as flat as a freshly uh, pounded pizza uh, that is being placed into the oven by Mama Rosetta. But like a pizza, I think it will rise. And I think mm. it is in a good position. And I think you talk about a crossroads. Now, I only ever see Rosetta check the pizzas once because she's already made a decision. She looks at it halfway through. She either moves it to the top shelf or the bottom shelf. <laughs> and then after it's done, it comes out and everyone enjoys a meal. Now, that, so that's true. The, that's now, uh, I think there was two questions. One was, uh, very quickly, how did I get involved in Essendon? Well, it's actually, uh, like most Australians, I, I had no choice. Uh, my older brother... Uh, is an avid Essendon supporter, and I grew up with him jumping off the couch yelling the names of Lloyd and Herb when I was young. He got me a – I've got a VFL uh, woolen jumper. And I think it's actually now at his house as well with uh, with his kids. But And I wanted a number two on it. I wanted uh, a different one. And Jeff said, no, you're having number five. You're having James Hurd. So – and then football, I remember my first game was Essendon Bulldogs. Uh, you're, you're the third person in this group whose yeah. first game was Essendon Bulldogs. And it was, I remember, and maybe we'll get Jeff on to tell this story once, but I don't know why a teenager takes his <laughs> five or six-year-old brother to the football when he was <laughs> clearly taking a girl from the school production he was in as well. Um, and I remember that I said that he should try and take the girl that was playing the queen in the production to the game, but uh, he took the girl that was playing the role of Catherine. Anyway, I don't remember the production, but that's the story. Um, and all I was excited about was getting chips at halftime. So, and he never invited me back. But, and then, uh, oh, look, I, mean, I didn't follow football closely uh, until many, uh, or maybe a decade and a half ago, um, and I started to come back in. And obviously, joining the uh, the numerically accurate Gentilly section at the football. Uh, that's kind of uh, how I turned up, and I've never left. So that's right. Uh, that's, we that's we do story. find you under the couch, out out the backyard <laughs> next to the barbecue. You literally everywhere in the Don Father's villa. Yeah, um, and I just try not to uh, get too deafened by Joe yelling ball or about the umpires in the background so but that's the story mm. um it's um yeah. it's an interesting day for the Essendon Football Club because I remember I haven't felt this way since I was uh about seven years old and the year was uh 1996 and Essendon had just lost a preliminary final by one point with Plugger kicking it after the siren and it was in fact on that day that or or soon after that that uh, Port Adelaide were going to enter the competition. They're coming in for the 97 season. And the number I always had on my back was the number four of the great Gavin Wanganeen, right? And I remember the day that he announced he was going to Port. I was inconsolable, like losing it. Worse than Laura did last week watching Woosha. Um, like I was crying in my bedroom, hugging the number four jumper. And I reckon I didn't fully recover that from that. Uh, until I watched uh, Open Mic last year, I think Wanganin was interviewed on that last year or the year before, and I, I didn't. You, you hold on to this childhood trauma that you associate with football, right? And I, I remember watching that interview, and, and Mike Sheen asks Gavin Wanganin. Um, he said, 
or do you ever uh he said something like do you regret going to port or like in your heart who do you support now like who where where do you consider yourself do you consider yourself like an Essendon player or Port Adelaide player and Mike Sheen gives him um Gavin Wanganen gives Mike Sheen this look and he doesn't say anything but the look said Essendon and that was the moment like as a as a 32 year old that I was like oh my heart's mended now I can I can forgive Gavin and I feel like that there's there's a few six and seven year olds out there today who are absolutely heartbroken that Adam Saad and Joe Danaher have decided they want to leave the football club. I uh, I did a little bit of self-torture today, and I don't often read the comments, but echoing what you've just said, there was a significant amount of social media commentary about uh, I'm crying, the kids are crying, why, why have you done this? And even though it's you know the worst-kept secret, I think uh, if you had have asked that within a decade, or if you'd asked me in the year 2010, you know, that, that James Hurd would want nothing to do with football and be involved in soccer, his kids would play soccer, and a Danaher would voluntarily leave the club, you just about would have been able to push me over with a feather. Mm. Well, mind you, we do have a Hurd on the list, so maybe is that if that's any sort of consolation prize. But uh, no, yeah, well, thinking back to 2010, it couldn't have got... You, you, like, if you had told me, it's only going to get worse from here. Yeah, years <laughs> of pain, supplement saga, then this. Oh, oh, baby. Yeah. Hey, just to break up the uh, the sadness, I do believe I'm. I was due for a, uh, my story on on Kim. Oh, please, please continue. Is that is that part of the right? Well, it is now. So no, well, we'll, we'll give the list some background. So Nick, you've obviously um, you're on Channel Nine. Uh, you seem to know uh, various sort of, oh, I don't know if you call them celebrities, but C-grade, D-grade celebrities, like just involved in random stuff. They've been on TV or ads or new people yep. in high places. So one time, obviously, we at the footy. I would have been 12 or 13. And you'd obviously brought along Kim. And I thought, like, oh, this has got to be uh, – to give the, the listeners some, some more context, Kim, how tall would you say you are? Five? Uh Probably, probably five five on a good day. Kin, Kin, Kin five, is five actually in, five five in fresh runners. Yeah, you're you're um you're centimeter for centimeter the same height as Caleb Daniel. Not entirely true, but he is my spirit animal. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Excellent. And I'm actually wearing my Western Bulldogs best in ferret right now. <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit lighter than than Caleb Daniel, but I I thought oh like it, we didn't really get introduced. I think he'd come at half time and. We didn't get introduced, whatever. But I thought, oh, must be Nick's got a, a, a jockey mate. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, cool. he's got a mate who's a jockey. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the irony about this story is I, I love horses, but I hate heights. And I once got bounced off the back of a Shetland pony. So, and, and I wasn't happy about it. My, uh, some of my family members have a few horses and I'd gone to stay with my auntie. I reckon, I reckon I must've been in like grade three or grade four and uh, they've got horses and they had, I forget if it was Ned or Ted, but they had, they had this Shetland pony, which I still thought was pretty big given uh, how small I was at the time being only eight or so. And I was sitting on the back of it and it turned because horses are smart and Shetland ponies are a bit cheeky and it turned towards this tree and this low lying branch and started to, canter towards the tree 
and I just bounced further and further back along its rump and then just hit the deck and I, and, and, and I never got back on. And, and that was the end of your And that was the end of my career. jockeying. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. Too good. Oh, yeah. outrageous. Anyway, outrageous. Moving along. Now, now, Nikki, tell us, how, how did you feel when, when you first heard the news last night and today? Oh, look, I mean, uh, the side one, that one hurt. That one hurt because it didn't feel, from all reports, it's not about money, it's about direction of the club. And when you've got someone who's just, you know, they, they've lost faith in where we're going, it, it's quite damning, quite quite concerning. The Danaher, he was one foot out the door last year. So you sort of just go, oh, well, it was bound to happen. At least we tried to keep him, but the sad one really hurts because if if people people at the club aren't happy with where we're going, well then it's going to be another you're going to add at least another five years of torment onto that six years without a finals win, sixteen years without a finals win. Do you know I I've been doing a little bit of reading between the lines today, and I mean I had the day off today, so when Danaher's news dropped, I reckon I ate about a liter of strawberry ice cream and. Um, Topped it with some tears. Um, but I read quite a few articles, and I think it was Tom Morris wrote an article that I I think suggests that it's not necessarily the direction of the club that's the problem. I think Saad actually just doesn't like Ben Rutten. And I don't mean that from a nefarious sense. Like, I don't think they've, they've had big bust-ups and that sort of thing. But we know in workplaces that most people change jobs because of their direct manager and we know that Rutten not only is he the head coach but he's the coach of the back line as well that's his line and I think he and and Saad just don't get on or Saad doesn't like the way that he coaches and I think he's decided that he wants to yeah sort of a a conflict of uh, philosophies whereas you know Saad wants to attack probably Rutten just wants him to sit back and and, and defend because that's his primary focus as a defender yeah, absolutely. Is and this the story by Tom Morris talking about how it presents the two sides of the story? Uh, and Carlton's saying, because let's not forget that Carlton finished, what, all of half a game ahead of Essendon. Is yeah, this the story absolutely. where they're saying that uh, Carlton basically said, look, we've got enough lockdown defenders, we want to use your run and dash. And is that the story that, that we're discussing, the one on... That, that, uh, that's the one I read, yeah. yeah. Okay. It seemed... I, I took three things out of that was... Essendon keen for obviously defensive responsibility, understand the dash, but you have to be hard to score against. You have to be hard to play against. It sounds like, and this is after only three years as well, to, you know, 18, 19, 20 has been the three seasons. Mm. Carlton have said, basically, come and do what you think you do best. But there was also concerns in there. Probably the biggest thing for me was about Saad's ability to take feedback. Now, this is all a grain of salt. We know that. But that is probably the thing for me that stems from the heart of it, that if someone is unwilling to accept feedback or change or uh, deviate from a goal, it was a stated goal to play, to, you know, to be selected as an All-Australian, then you know there's a difference between being a good person and being a good teammate. And... You know, people need to play a role, and if the role isn't there, then you know potentially it's not the best place. So, mm. obviously, obviously it sucks. It's hard, and it's one of the old enemies. But you know, this is the first time that we've seen anyone sort of put their foot down and not bow and say, "Right, well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll give you the contract, we'll give you the whatever." So, 
uh, I think it's in a way it can be a, a perverse positive. Yeah, I can understand where, where if, if that's true, I can understand where Sadi's coming from now. I believe he, he came through the VFL system, if I've got it right. Yeah, VFL. Um, he was a rookie. Almost. Yeah, so yeah, so I can I can imagine that, you know, a lot of his, you know, he, he probably worked himself so hard to develop his game, develop his style and what he can do. Um, and he worked so hard on that. And to be told, no, we're not going to let you play the way you want to play. Um, I can understand him going, well, I'm just not gonna. I've, I've I've come. I've worked too hard on what I do best. I'm not gonna wash away the rest of my career because I'm playing a role that I don't want to play. Or I don't feel that's my best. So I can understand, as I think anyone can, that him going. No, I want to play in the position and play footy where I feel I provide my best and 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 have the opportunity to push my career as far as I can. So it hurts, yeah. but I can understand where where he's coming from. If that's, if that's yeah, I agree. It's it's completely understandable if. If, if we look at it like a job, which it is, uh, I I wouldn't stay at a job where I'm not enjoying my role. I would I would look for a new job or you know not enjoying the person that I was working for or working with. So I I can understand that that if he wants to play a different way and the club want him to play a particular way and he's not open to feedback and not open to change, then you're better off moving those people on mm. so everyone can get the best out of it. He can go and, and make the most of his career and Essendon can find the people that want to fit into the system. Yeah, and we avoid paying overs for a guy who's playing a role that, you know, he doesn't want to want to play. And we can, you know, if I'm Mason Redmond at the moment um, with McKenna and uh, Saad and perhaps even Raz with one foot out the door, <laughs> I'm laughing because now he's got a role. He can, he's got room to sort of go and say, okay, I, I can make this spot my own and, and, and play our track once me to him and, you know, do the best I can across my career. Yeah, I think um, I think of all the positions on our list, I think where um, halfback flankers are one of the things that we have a ton of. Mm. I, I, look, Saad is is a. I think he's the best small defender in the game, to be honest. But it's not a position half back pockets, halfback flankers. It's not a position where you really want to be spending your big big money, if you know what I mean. Yeah, hundred percent. It's yeah. um, it's kind of the position in local footy where you put the kids that aren't the great. I mean, I was a great halfback flanker back pocket. When I say great, I was always in the back pocket or the halfback flank, um, because it's kind of the the place where you hide your not as good players. Yeah, I think you can if you're a good halfback, um, you can really tear the game apart, and and that's it's a, it is. A, if you can do it well, you become a really vital part of the team, I feel. But you can also, yes, you can just play a role there too, depending on how you want to play the game. And, and if we look at rut and ball, uh, we, it seems to me that we want to take intercept marks and then move it slowly to about halfway and then switch gears to go, you know, cut through the corridor. And So it's not, I don't think we want to play that slingshot footy, which Saad is so, Saad yeah. and McKenna were both really good at, that it comes in and you run it straight out. I don't think that's how... Rutten wants the team to set up. I think he wants to take control, chip it around, and then go from the middle. Yeah, a more, a more methodical build-up rather than just sort of rather than relying on two players to run it out. You can sort of rely on your team. Doesn't matter who's in the team to sort of bring that ball out of defence and then and then attack with it. Yeah, and and I think that one of one of my criticisms of Saad, and they're not many, but I think his his kicking is not elite. Whereas someone like a Mason Red, Redman can really hit a target by foot. And 
it's it's a really clear well it's a truism of footy that you can run as fast as you like but you're never going to run faster than someone kicking the ball to a teammate accurately mm. who then kicks it to someone else there's no runner in the game that will be able to catch that so i i can see i can see how as a as a group we can cover the loss of sard yeah but i i, I mean this is probably a different uh, um story and, and different um point but i i find the the slow build up idea quite uh, illogical given that mm. a lot of teams play sort of a zone defense and building up slowly. Although granted you can't go quick all the time. Um, that gives, you know, it's very hard to switch gears when teams have actually set up the defense behind. I, the ball I don't think, in front of I don't think this, slow, this slow build up will be the, the, the way Rutten balls played. I think we've only just seen parts of how Rutten okay. wants to play and sort of, you know, a mature team knows when to go slow and when to go fast. So yes, you know there. I think it was a three-week patch throughout the year where we just went slow, and then followed by a three-week patch where we just went fast. So it's we're sort of just we're in the middle of just sort of adjusting and sort of shifting, and and that's why you get your players like Sard who are just probably not going to fit that system base that we want, who are more personnel based, and that's why yeah now he's seeking other opportunities. Yeah, well, I don't think. Um, I don't think we've got the the skills. We haven't developed the skills to be able to kick through a zone yet. Uh, we saw that this year that we would just turn it over again and again and again. We to to really be able to kick it through a zone, you need to have the skill level of someone like a Western Bulldogs, or you need every player on the list to kick like yeah. Jordan Ridley. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, uh, there's also the opposite view that um, that Rutten is not looking at the list and adapting a game style that fits the list. Instead, he's it's kind of one of those things that happens in soccer quite a bit. You either look at the players you've got and really great coaches can create a system that matches your talent and then good to average coaches tend to get rid of all the players that they don't want and, and have a system and then bring players in that are going to suit their system. And I, I feel like Rutten is moving towards the let's get players in that are going to play in the system the way we want them to play. Yeah. Case in point for uh, for me on that, watching, I mean, I love the four games over the weekend. You know, I'm not sure when anybody's ever seen potentially a closer uh, begin to a final series. But an example for that for mine is, is Daniel Rich from the Brisbane Lions. Uh, highly touted when he came in, had a couple of really good years, booming foot, then sort of went missing until he's found himself reinvented in that team over the last couple of years, mind you, but really shining at the moment, you know, with that accuracy and the ability to break lines, not not uh, through running, but through his kicking. And it mm-hmm. creates different dynamics. And I think for me, that's what you're getting at, Nick, create a game style that complements the players you have. No one's expecting Daniel Rich to run it off halfback. But he's got other players, but then you've got the Berries coming back, uh, Lockie Neal coming back, and a couple of others that, you know, they, they they pick their moments. And that's clearly what a team like Brisbane has done well. Essendon's still got a couple of juggling balls in the air. They're not sure where they fall down yet. But even with that, like, not sort of with the Daniel Rich, but with the, the Ben Rutten sort of trying to chop the list, it's not like he's telling Saad to get out. Like, he's... Mm. We're trying to keep Saab. We, we just want him to adjust his game, and, and Saab just doesn't agree with it. It's not like we're saying, get out the door. You don't fit our plans. It's like, all right, well, this is what we want to do. We want you to evolve this way, and he just it's just, uh, he doesn't agree with it. And Going, yeah. going on that um, Chris Fagan point, uh, Kin, and I don't know if this is contrary to your point, Nick, about good average coaches and great coaches or 
in accordance with it. But I, I see that as, as Fagan going, okay, this is my system. And then looking at a player like Daniel Rich and going, how can he fit into it? Not so much him, yep. him going, uh, okay, I've got Daniel Rich and, you know, I'll list a whole list. I'm not going to do that. And then he goes, okay, what simulate, what uh, system can I formulate out of that? No, he's gone, look, this is the system we've got. How do I get those players to fit in? Um, and so, yeah, well, I guess that's what you're, you're saying, Nick, is what we tried to do with Saar. But I'm, I'm not sure if that aligns with your point, Nick, or, or, or uh, disagrees with it. Well, it's kind of, I, I think it's always happening. It's very fluid, right? So it's happening at the same time. Mm. And, and Rutten, obviously, as, as Nicky was saying, that you, you, we don't want him to go. We, we never, we didn't kick him out the door. We offered him a big contract. We wanted him to stay. And we we're hoping that he would fit into the system and, and play the position and the way that we want him to play. But he he's decided that he wants to go against that. And the thing to consider with, with Brisbane and with Fagan is he also um, hit the trade table pretty hard early on in his time. They brought in Charlie Cameron. They got rid of Rockliffe. They they made quite a few list changes. They brought in Lockie Neal. So mm. they've he had his time of, of really... And at the time, Lockie Neal... Well, he, he still is, but he was one of the best midfielders in the game. I was so surprised that Lockie Neal wanted to leave Fremantle. He, in my mind, at the time, was one of those players that you just never leave, leave your football club. Yeah, well, for me, I, I didn't actually... Maybe he's just being stuck in the Melbourne bubble. I didn't realise how good he was until he went to Brisbane. Um, and I, I was like... I, I thought he was an idiot for leaving Freeman. I was like, this guy's career is going to go down the drain. Probably my fault for not doing my research then. But, yeah. Um, um, yeah, he, he's, yeah. Definitely, he's, he's definitely gone to another level since he's got That's to Brisbane. Like, he wasn't this good at Freo. But it, it's a credit to the Brisbane, I guess, development team to, to sort of get him to this next level and get... Get even more out of him than what Freo were getting out of him. Mm. He had, had Fifey in the way as well, so yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, that's true. go on, Nick. So we've been going about twenty-five minutes now. So why don't we take a quick break, and then we, when we come back, we'll have a chat about Essendon's list, where we think we're strong, where we think we need to improve, and and see really we'll review the players on the list maybe not as in depth as some other podcast but we'll see how we go uh, and then take it from there that's good all right before the break we were just chatting about you know the reaction to to the news that we all got today and you know, over the last couple of days and what we want to do now is we want to have a chat about Essendon's list profile what it looks like where we've got some strengths where we need to improve and Really, how we take our club from the point it is now going forward. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we, we better address our glaring uh, sort of weakness. And I feel that's that, uh, well, obviously up forward now with uh, Big Joey gone, and that's probably been a, an issue for a while. Um, but also I, I, I fear for our um, stocks down back. Um, if, if, if this means that Hooker needs to go forward um, past pulling in Zerk Thatcher, uh, where do we go after that? Um, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> we finally filled our ruck stock. Uh, but we, we can never get all the pieces to align, can we? I think, you know, when we had um, plenty of, uh, you know, Hooker and Hurley were at their best, we had Danaher and... Um, I guess, you know, McKernan, Stewart, Mitch Brown. We, we had plenty of stuff, but we never really had a, a, an A-grade or an A-grade calibre Ruckman. 
Um, but now we've sort of got that, that calibre ruck, or, you know, he's not an A-grade calibre ruckman yet, but can be. And we seem to have uh, been depleted at, at our other big men's stocks. So um, I don't even know where to start. Well, I do know where to obviously start in those areas. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be keen to see what you guys think. Depending well, on think... Uh, what happens immediately, I think I would agree with what you're saying, Matty, about the backs because you're looking at, you know, does this force the hand of Hooker and Hurley to their stage? Do they go with their last sort of years, both being uh, above or above 30? And then you've got, okay, Saad's gone, McKenna's gone. What happens uh, with an Aaron Francis? Uh, what happens with a couple of others? So there's... I think you're right. I think there is some uh, some gaps there. And then, you know, I, I don't fear for our forwards as much as maybe some. Uh, I think injuries hurt that today. I, I'm less concerned about approaching 2021 with a forward line of James Stewart, Jaden Laverde, Kyle Langford, uh, Jake Stringer, Anthony McDonald, Tipper Woody. I, that's, that's, that's serviceable for me. Um, I'm okay with that. I'm, that's it. Uh, t- uh, yeah, Townsend. <laughs> um, Townsend I'm, will not be playing at Essendon next year. I'm I'm okay with that. I don't know how how you guys feel like uh, because we haven't seen um, JD for a little while. So I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I'm more concerned about now the dominoes fall in our defensive group. That that, that I um I I'm actually less concerned for our defence. I, I think, well, the, the fact is this. If, if Hooker and Hurley want to leave and they want to chase success elsewhere, and I've heard nothing to suggest that, only that they were upset with the treatment of Bell Chambers, but if they, in fact, decide they want to go, then there's no, uh, there's no question we have to go into full rebuild mode. There's, there's just no question if we lose those two. Um, I, think, I think for the most part, though, our defence is our strongest part of the back uh, of the of the field at the moment, and and still remains to be that way, because what you've got is you've got Redmond that replaces one of McKenna or Sard, you've got Hooker Hurley as as key defenders with Zerk Thatcher and Ridley to replace them, we've got those two Irishmen that we can start in defence. They're quite tall and well and and quite quick. I, I mean they're not they're not Premiership winning players yet, right? But there's enough talent there to develop we've also got um cody brand joining the list this year because he's our uh academy pick and he's a highly rated key defender um so he's going to step onto the list and the forgotten man patrick ambrose ah, is, is there yes so and let me i'll just bring up his profile and see how old he is so he's 29 right but he didn't play at all this year and was statistically the best lockdown defender last year um, across the league. He, he won like, uh, he lost only a tiny amount percentage-wise of his one-on-one contests and had very few goals kicked on him. So I think our defense is actually still relatively solid, especially if we want to play in the way that we don't rely on slingshot, we rely on on team defense and moving the ball methodically out of defense. The other thing to consider is, okay, we play Redmond on one flank and then I think we can move Dyson Heppel to the other flank Mm. and get him playing in that position that he started his career in. Because I think our midfield group is, is decent enough now that we don't need Heppel there. Yeah, I I disagree. I think we don't have a, until we get some big bodies around the ball, Heppel needs to stay on ball because um, we just well, we got well, bullied this year. 
Yeah, but that's where we've got currency at the moment in that, I mean, and this comes into our last segment, you know, what would I do if I was list manager? The, the, certainly, we're going to be adding to the list. There's no question. But I, I think our backline is not the biggest worry um, for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed in myself for the game about uh, Paddy A. Um, mm. Yeah, I, um, yeah what, I mean, the only problem there is he's 29-30. Um, I'd agree with that. I think I think Ridley's going to be best served in his career as being sort of a third. You also we can also throw Francis um, down there. I, I don't. Oh, he's another one I feel is better off as a third tall rather than a. Uh, but I he's think, also a forward option. Yeah, sorry, I think Franger could uh, if Gleeson goes. I think Franger could yeah. even play that role. Sort of. I mean, I don't know if he can play small, but even I reckon Ridley could probably play tall or small. So, you know, even Frank could come in and Ridley. Could still be the interceptor, but he plays small or tall in uh, yeah. that Gleason role. Yeah, that's fair point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and the other thing to consider is that if if the back flank is so crucial to our game style and our style of play, then put McGrath there mm. because McGrath is a gun wherever he plays on the field. And and if back pocket back flank is that crucial that we need a gun then he, he showed in his first year how good he can be back there. And he's only gotten better since. Yeah, well, I'd hate to lose him around the footy with some of the, the way he was playing towards the end of the year before he got injured at West Coast. Um, but I don't mind that, that idea of Heppel pushing back, um, obviously depending on the uh, who we pick up of a free agency and, and, and the strength we can get around the ball. Um, I wonder if Braden Ham could pinch it back there. Could be a sort of a... Um, re- reinvigorated and just to add to our forward stocks um, and I think we can, we can probably discuss this later but I'd love to see Harrison Jones uh, you know it's going to take him a while but the opportunity for him now um, absolutely you know huge and, and he's one I think just going off his look everyone's got you know draft highlights got good draft highlights but I think he can really um, be, be our next sort of man I think I think we've got a couple of options going forward um, in terms of the way we structure the forward line and in terms of the way that we replace Danaher. Now, saying that, um, Danaher is the kind of talent that, that can't be replaced. We're not going to get a player that is as good, as dynamic as Danaher when he's playing at his best. So I think that expectation is very unrealistic. So we need to take that off the table. But I think what the opportunity that we have here is... Either we do what St Kilda and Gold Coast have done with the King brothers and just chuck Harry Jones in and say, you're just playing every week and you're just going to get experience. If, if that doesn't risk his body or his confidence, you just chuck him in and let him go. And, and that's option number one. Um, option number two is that we realize we've got enough stocks in defense and we throw Hooker or Hurley forward, assuming they stay. And we give Jones some protection in that way that we have... Um, Hooker, we have Stewart, and then we play Jones uh, in that third tall role with, I think, Laverde, Tipper, Ned Carl, Snelling as the small forwards, right? And Laverde is kind of with Stringer as that medium-sized forward. The third option that we have is to get someone as coverage. So we bring in someone like a Ben Brown or we throw big money at Jeremy Cameron, who's probably the the closest like-for-like replacement for Danaher in terms of profile and ability to change a game. Or we bring in someone like a Paddy McCartan, who's going to be free. And again, he's just a stopgap like a Ben Brown as coverage for a couple of years while Harrison Jones develops. And 
finally, what an option is, is to try and develop one of our young players as that forward, someone like an Aaron Francis and chuck them forward. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, it'd be interesting to know um, or, or get some insight into the war room Essendon and, and what they are thinking. Because, um, yeah, I, I think if we're going for and saying, look, we're going to have to, you know, um, rebuild and, and look to, you know, um, look again in three, four years. So this is a long-term sort of plan. Well, yeah, I like that Hurley hooker forward idea. You know, let Zerk Thatcher get some games under his belt. Let all those other blokes get the games under the belt. Let them get experience back there. But, yeah, I, I did, I, I, yeah I'd be very surprised if the Doro wasn't on the blower today to a, a Jeremy or a Ben. Um, and I don't mind that McCartan idea just as, you know, a freebie there, perhaps in a, in a, a rookie draft or something like that. Um, no, you, you bring it to well, good I, points. I don't think we'd need to draft him. I think because he was delisted, I think you just sign him as a free agent. Oh, okay. Right. Even, even rookie draft, even. Hmm. The yeah, other right. news that came out today was that there might be a bit of gap between Collingwood and Brody Majacek as well. Uh, not as tall at only about 190, a shade over 190 centimetres, 192, but can kick a goal and can probably play that, you know, that that sub truly tall forward role. But you know, he's 27, so you've got he's he's got one more contract really left in him. You'd think. Uh, it's a bigger investment, but you know those are the kind of people that maybe you look at depending on cap time and who else fits into those. Um, has shown that he can play in a successful system as well. The only yeah, I think. Um, oh, you go, Nicky. I was going to say the only issue to uh, to my check is uh, the rumor is Collingwood refused to deal with us uh, because Dodoro is just such a hard ass. So good luck dealing with Collingwood for him. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Majek's dad played for Essendon and I yep. think he was only a few games off a father-son pick or something for us. So there's definitely a connection to the Bombers. But yeah, if you if what you say is true, that Collingwood refused to deal with Essendon, that um, that makes it tough and it makes it interesting. But, but I mean, this is the thing that I still find bizarre about Australian football is that players say I want to trade and then they say, trade me to this club. It's... That that still seems so bizarre to me that in every other sport they ask for a trade and then the club goes out and trades them wherever they are going to get the best deal or the best return for the club. So if he comes out and says, I want to go to Essendon because we've gotten in his ear and said, you know, this is what we can offer you, what choice Colling- does Collingwood really have to not deal with the Bombers? The um, I hate to burst your bubble, but 13 games uh, I don't think is close for old Jack Majacek for a, for a father-son. Was it 13? I thought he played something like 70 games. No, 13 games, 8 goals. <laughs> well, it's closer than any of my sons are ever going to get to a father-son in Essendon. Jason Laycock played more. Well, well, Jason Laycock was, was the GOAT. Yeah. Courtney yeah. Johns. Bring back Johns. Henry Slattery. Mate. Ariel Steinberg. Courtney Johns had an amazing Amos career at Aberfeldy. I don't know if he's still playing, but he had an incredible career there. Actually, I watched them play against Greenvale in a grand final once. Adam McPhee was playing for Greenvale. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a scumbag. That and, well, he's not a scumbag. And Mel Michael he, was running around in the ruck 
<laughs> Mel Michael was the coach of Aberfeldy Correct. for quite a long time. Old, old, old big Mel. He didn't jump much, but he did push people out of the way real good. Oh, he's, he's he a legend. massive. Yeah. Well, but, one, but I think... Oh, you go, Matt. I was going to say, one thing for certain, if there's a positive to come out of, of any of any of this, it's that we have now got cap spots. We've we've got some uh, some money to throw around and... Um, We've got options. That's that's one positive and, and draft picks as well, it seems. So it's not all doom and gloom. That's right. And and the we have the option of, of actually banking that cap space and, and waiting. I, I don't know if you guys have any suggestions on who might be out of contract next year, but if we decide to not bring in a big name to replace, if we can, in fact, get a big name um, to replace Joe and Sadi, who who's around next year and the year after that we might be able to sneak into the club? You, you don't need big names. The people that went there, actually, no, I'll correct. Luke Hodge went to Brisbane, but the other people they brought in who went, Mitch Robinson was discarded by Carlton. Not mm-hmm. wanted, go away. Potentially mm-hmm. became, you know, the one of those players at Brisbane, uh, and I'm just using them as the example because uh, there's a few threads. They did things like they got in people who are hard over the footy and good club people. They recruited a bunch of uh, Vic Country lads, brothers. They were going to have to move for footy anyway, so they were never going to really go home. They didn't mind tra- training at that point in a shed under the Gabba. Like, they loved it. They all got involved, and that's how you build something. I, I'm not sure, unless it comes easily, I'm not, I'm not sold on bringing in the big name. I think uh, it's potentially dangerous building people up as up. Now we've got a Jeremy Cameron, you know, maybe as an example. We don't need anything else. I think I think I think that's that's wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Kin. I think I think the clubs at a crossroads here, right? And and I think people are talking about um, the poor culture at Essendon. But what may be happening and I mean, I don't envy Ben Rutten right now because he's going to be under pressure from the moment Essendon comes out on the field for preseason all the way through, right? But he may be now setting a new culture at the club. He's that's really to this point. The, the evidence is clear that our culture's been poor because the results don't lie. We we haven't had success in nearly twenty years, right? So there's no way that we were getting it right. And so Rutten is changing the, it seems to me he's changing the way that, that the culture is built and he's changing the type of people that we want to have around the club. Similar to with Brisbane, what happens when you do that is yes, you, you piss off some people and yes, people want to leave. But if you are clear on the type of person that you want to come into the club and certainly with what Paul Brasher said last week Essendon seems to be very clear on the type of person they want in the club and in the organisation, then those people will find you, those people will want to come, and those people will get the best out of themselves. Yeah. There's no doubt that uh, you take a couple of dozen footballers and their families and such, and you put them in the hub, as has happened this time, and... That's gonna that turns the uh, the community pressure up to eleven, and that's really difficult. And if that if anything is gonna, I guess, outline stress within the group, con- confining people 
for that length of time together is is going to bring it to the fore. And, you know, I think people on the outside have maybe underestimated uh, that. I think it's shown up a couple things. I think it's shown up that there were fractures. And, you know, I use the word fractures because they can be little things, but under pressure, they expand. And I think it sounds like... Uh, potentially the issue with potentially, I mean, we're all speculating, so let's just do it. Uh, Merit's omission from the leadership group, uh, you know, the toll of injuries building up on the psyche of their ability to compete, some poor results. Uh, You know, you spend time with people that you don't normally spend as much time with. I think those are all factors. And there's another word and talking about, you know, the situation of John Warsfold, there's a phrase in coaching that says the reason they hire you will be the reason that they will fire you. And, mm. you know, initially, no contest, Wusher was the right person, father figure taken through that that era. But the one moment for me was last year when we got belted by the Bulldogs, absolutely belted the infamous game of 200 straight goals. Um, they came out and it, it was... There was no defence of of the uh, the players. Yes, he said, "Oh, you know, this is something that you know I'll take on board." But he didn't come out and, you know, when when the journalist said, "Oh, John, what what will you say to them?" Why didn't he say something like, "What a stupid question"? You think I have to say anything to them? They're grown men. They're professionals. They know what's happened. We're going to tackle it and move on. Next question. Like no no character and 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 fire to to defend his players that were getting belted and had just gone out and been. Um, physically smashed for 100 minutes. I think, you know, that wears on you after a while. Initially, perfect, but after that, you know, there needed to be uh, some change. I think they probably just wore thin, to be honest. Not sure about behind Mm. doors, but... I can certainly understand um, Merritt's point of view, particularly, and, and this is all hypothetical, I don't know any information, haven't heard any information, but if you're omitted from the leadership group, and, and as a proud individual who um, prides yourself on leadership, which Merritt seems that kind of guy, that he relishes leadership, is a good leader, enjoys being in positions of leadership. If, if you're omitted from the leadership group and then someone is put into that group that is not seeming to um, give the role the the respect that you have for it, I can see how you as a leader start to resent that and think, well, why are you in this role? You're, you know, you're not training hard enough. You're not connecting the group hard enough. You're just a bit of a, an idiot or, a, you know, a joker or whatever. And I can see how that you, you would become resentful in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. If I can, um, I totally agree. And I agree with your point as well, Ken, about, you know, being a pressure cooker. Um, Ken, I think we've discussed this off air, but I think, what look, it's cliche and, and, you know, we all say we forget these guys are human, but, we like we. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that professional sport is very similar to amateur sport in terms of the politics that goes on and how people react and that sort of thing and the, you know and the emotions people feel. Except now people are getting paid a lot of money and there's a lot of people that are invested in you know how the team goes. That's it. That's the difference. So I there, no doubt in my mind that you know how about if I came to you Nick or you Ken or other Nick and said hey you're a leader and then in a year's time I said. Uh, no, you, you're not a leader. Sorry, we changed our mind. You'd be, you'd be right pissed off. And especially when things start to go south, um, when there does seem to be cracks, and I can just imagine that the, I mean, the hub would amplify this, but imagine, you know, how, how upset do we get after a loss? Now, you know, imagine how those players feel. And then 
I think part of, you know, once you, you leave a game and go home and have your own time, that's a, a part of that reflection and recovery process. Now imagine not having that, you know, and, you, and you're stuck with the same guys. Maybe, you know, you were frustrated at your teammates because of how they went on the weekend, one thing after another. I, I definitely think, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with both your points there. Um, and so, yeah, couldn't agree more that we're at a crossroads. And I think that'll be the the um, overall message of, of this podcast is that we can go two ways here. Yeah. Yeah. And the there's an opportunity at this point in time to really change the, the future direction of the football club. Because let's be honest, right? We're all suckers. I'm going to be a member next year. I'm lucky enough that I've kept my job. You guys are lucky enough that you're, you know, you you guys are young enough to be living at home. Your parents are going to pay for your membership. Thank you, Mr. Morrison. Kin, yeah, Kinnersley, you've you've kept your job. You know, we don't we don't have the financial hardship that a lot of people are going through right now. And and at the end of the day, I'm never going to change football teams. Like I've gone for Essendon from the day I understood what football was to the day I leave this earth. And there, there's nothing ever that's going to change that, right? But the the football club really now has to, it seems to me, it seems to me, they're making a stand and we're saying, and they're saying enough is enough. We cannot continue along this pathway. Mm. Something has to change. And we won't know whether they've made the right decision uh, for the next little while. But it's interesting what you were talking about, Maddie, in, in someone anointing you as a leader and then a year later taking it away. And I'd just like to remind our listeners of um, a movie, very, very, very deep movie called Mighty Ducks 3. Now, in that movie, Charlie for the first two movies, has always been the captain of the Mighty Ducks, right? Starts as District 5, they become the Ducks. And he's always had that Captain C on his chest. I can't believe you're and in the third movie... Face. Was that? I can't believe you're telling this story with a straight face. Well, you can't see my face because we're you know, obviously not in the same room because that would be illegal. Illegal. Um, anyway, so Emilio Estevez, he takes Charlie aside and charlies they've joined the college team and, and Charlie's not the captain anymore. He doesn't have that C on his chest. And Emilio says to him, it's not the sea that makes you a leader. It's what's behind it. And I think that could be, and again, we're speculating, but if, if having that title taken away from you has given Zach Merritt a change of heart, then perhaps he's got a little bit more to learn about leadership before taking that next step forward. Oh, I think that's, yeah, uh... Look, we as Essendon fans, we're, you know, we want him to go, nah, you're right. I am a leader. Doesn't matter what they say. That's what, that's what we want because we're Essendon fans and, you know, we want Zachy to sit there and go, I love Essendon and, you know, whatever else. But if, if you or me were in his shoes and, and, you know, career on the line, um, sorry, not career on the line, but, you know, how we sort of remembered and legacy on the line and, and that sort of thing, um, I'd 100% be going, look, if you guys don't think I'm a leader, this ship's sinking. Well, see you later. I'll go be somewhere else where they, I'll go somewhere else where they think I'm a leader, you know? And I, I get what you mean. And, and yeah, maybe he does have to look a bit deeper. But I, I 100% don't blame him if he goes, well, no, like, <laughs> I, I've got capability. I should be recognized for them. And if you guys don't want to recognize me for them, like you once have, well, I'll go somewhere where, where, where I am. 
and I don't blame him. What I'm about to say my, may follow on from that. I don't really understand the uh, what the, the saying is trying to say, but um, personally, I think... 90s. Yeah, that, that, exactly right. Um, the point of the story, Nikki, is that it's it's not the title that makes you the captain. Oh, yeah, it's well, that's what I was going to... Oh, I was going to say, yeah, then I agree with that. If you're getting hung up on not being part of the leadership group, well, then you're not really a good leader because at the end of the day, it's what you do that makes you a good leader, not the titles. You can have as many titles as you want, but like, like, look at Scott Morrison. Is he? Oh, I don't want to get political. I'll shut up. It's cut. as Batman says. It's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, no, look, I don't think he's getting hung up on it, but I can understand why that would leave you a little bit frustrated, especially within the pressure cooker of the hub and things going south, and you're a bit, you know, concerned about the direction of the club. I think if, if everything was rosy and dandy, yeah, it's probably not something worries about. But I can understand that, you know, when things are starting to crack and, you know, going through the heart, as I said, all that sort of stuff, I can understand where he's coming from. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I can see I can see where he's coming from and completely understand that at, at the end of a frustrating year with an opportunity to, to move on, sometimes it might seem easier to... Because he's going to get a big con- contract wherever he goes. He's going to be wanted wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. He's that good of a player, right? So I can understand how you think, well, this is too hard. I'm, oh. I'm going to go somewhere easier. I've, I've certainly done that in my career. I've been in practices that it was really tough work. And I think, well, why do I need to work so hard here when I can get paid the same for an easier job elsewhere? Or you know? get paid or- more for the same effort. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I can understand that from an employment point of view, definitely. I don't think it's an effort thing. I think it's more why I might keep banging my head against the wall somewhere where I don't sort of align with how I feel the club's going. I don't think it's an effort thing. Oh, you know, I, I think you'd rather be you, you'd rather work at a place where you align with the beliefs and the values and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Work if like. you don't not feel effort. part of it, you're not, if you don't feel part of it, you're not going to work hard for it. That's the point. They're looking at the team and going, "I'm busting my ass for the team." What team? You see, people. I think this comes back to you know. Uh, McKenna, Saad, and I'm, I'm just using them as, as as examples. I like them as players. But anyone who watched the games the last couple of years, we look great running it out. We also look terrible when the ball bounces straight back over our heads, right? So hmm. the point is you're looking at it going, we're doing all this work and you know we're meant to bust our butt for the team. Well, what team? Yeah. You know, let's, that's, that's what it comes down to for me is that there is, there, there is not a camaraderie and a brotherhood and these kind of things. And... From what I've seen, the hub has split teams into sort of uh, a couple of groups. When you're Adelaide and for the first 13 games, you know you're crap. Well, the only way is up, right? So everyone's at the hub actually go, well, hey, we're here anyway. We may as well enjoy it. And they eventually had some success. And I have no doubt that's exactly what Matthew Nix was preaching. He was like, look, mm-hmm. we're here anyway. It's tough. Let's enjoy it. You go the other way. And there's teams uh, like St. Kilda who've come together. They're having a tilt. And the hub, because they had the new players and there was this sense of rejuvenation, it's brought them together. But the issue is that when you're caught in a place like Essendon and where everyone's 
pissed in your pocket for the last however many years. And even as a player, you might know looking at the list going, why isn't this working? Even injuries aside, the hub then turns that pressure inward and you combust. There's no, because you can't answer the questions. You're frustrated. Um, You're seeing these things come and go. You can't get momentum. That for me is the story of the year. It, it, he, there might be instances where, you know, this is the old tip of the iceberg scenario. There's deeper things at play. I think there is some cultural issues that probably stem back years. And, you know, whatever it is, sometimes I think J.K. Rowling once famously said, you know, that rock bottom became the foundation upon which I built my life. This might be that. And sometimes – and uh, the Knicks, Maddie, you might have seen this at local clubs. Sometimes it takes – a team to hit rock bottom before they can actually rejuvenate. You know, I, and that's that might be taking a really good hard look at themselves and going, this has shown that we're actually nowhere near where we thought we were and it's time to dig in. Mm, and yeah. that might be what's about to happen. That's 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 what I hope is about to happen. That's what I hope is is the plan for you know um, the the drafts coming up. I think and and I know I'm on a bit of a roll here, so I'll I'll, I'll shut up in a minute, but I think there's significant issues at leadership because of absenteeism, not through fault of their own, but we all know that, and people who have been involved in clubs would understand this uh, really well, that if you don't have your captain training, if you don't have your best players training, if you don't have this continuity, then you can't build cohesion. You can't build a game plan on the best days, let alone training on, you know, tennis courts or whatever the hell they were doing. Like, you need your best players to train so they can help your developing players. Like, that's 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 probably where, you know, our, our, our back line has been potentially consistent through injuries sometimes. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think Jordan Ridley credited Michael Hurley a lot with his development. But... As a forward line, you know, we, we've we lost Stringer, Danaher, Laverde, all these people to injuries over time. Stuart. From a, Stuart. Fantasia. From a midfield group. Fantasia. From a midfield group, you've lost um, uh, that, that revolving door where you couldn't get them all in the park at the same time from you know, Fantasia through the middle, guys like Heppel. You can't learn from a leader if your leader's not able to be on the park. Um, I, have, um, I have a theory about this, right? Dyson Heppel used to have glorious golden locks. I thought right? you were going to be serious for a second. Really long, glorious hair. And he decided at the start of this year, for un- some unknown reason... For charity. Charity. Yeah. It was for charity. For charity, right? It wasn't unknown. For some unknown reason, <laughs> oh, he decides to shave his head. Now look what happens. He continually injures his ankle and foot, right? Essendon can't win a game. COVID sweeps the world. Trump looks like he's going to get re-elected. All because Heppel <laughs> shaved off his magical hair. If we had any listeners, they've just tuned out now. Yeah. They have yeah, absolutely no, just first hour out. didn't. Actually, that's it. It's just hit one hour mark and they've bailed. Yeah, I said thank you. You you guys are assholes. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. No, Get I out think, of here. I think I, I was uh, I was really critical of uh, Dyson Heppel. 
just before he came out, was it last year, and he gave an interview or like he was uh, filmed at the club giving uh, a talk basically saying that we know we haven't been good enough. And then I was really critical. And then we had that good streak. We had we had a really good run of a few games. And I thought maybe I was wrong. But it just – it seemed, and look, he hasn't been on the park since. But, you know, I don't know – Because of his hair. I don't know where the next sense of leadership and understanding, you know, team comes from. Uh, you I, don't I, need your best players to be the captain. You know, there's there's books written about that. There's different forms of leadership. I think as uh, as Matt said earlier, in in regards to to merit, but it's a tough spot, you know. And I'm not I'm not sure where uh, where that leadership comes from. If if, if, I, if those players aren't on the park. I think we're quick to forget how good a leader Dyson Heppel is and how good a player Dyson Heppel is. I think we, even when he was playing unfit this year and last year when he came back late in the season to try and get us into finals, he has the presence that James Hurd used to have. Now, he's not as good as James Hurd because I don't think anyone ever will be, but he has that ability to step up in big moments that a lot of players just don't have. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, look, when the team needs him, he, he goes, doesn't he? He'll give everything for us. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep. Look, I think in terms of leadership, uh, with Hep, you know, and I, I think you look at all the good teams across the years, um, it's it's not just a captain that gets it done for you. You know, you've, you've got to have, I mean, you know, we look at Richmond, uh, you know, it's not just Koch doing, doing everything. You know, they, they have so many leaders throughout the, Throughout the ranks, um, who are we looking back? The Eagles—they were 2018. The Richmond Tigers, um, the Doggies. Do you can't remember the Doggies, but you know maybe they're the exception. But I'm sure they, they had their leadership throughout no, the ranks. The, 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 people forget that the Dogs had players like Matthew Boyd. That's true. Yeah, uh, and Dale Liam Morris, Pickin, Dale Morris, a yeah. couple of others. Pe- people forget that that the dogs had a couple of very Bob Murphy wasn't playing, but he was on the sideline. They had a lot of very experienced players pulling some, some reins there. That was not, that was, yes, they had a player who was winning his grand final in the seventh game or something, but they had people who were true leaders. Yeah. Um, as an example and Bevo, like, I mean, who wouldn't follow that jaw? Seriously. He is the ultimate man manager. He's yeah. And you look at Hawthorne before that as well, he, just, he, just leadership. Bevo gives, Bevo gives the press conferences that I want to see from a leader at Essendon. He stands there, he's confident, he shows passion when he needs to, but he's strong. And mm. he's not trying to be their friend, but he's not an enigma you know, he, he he's a strong driving personality. And I think, mm. you know, Essendon hasn't had that. Um, just like in American football, that no one be compared to the great Jim Brown. Uh, no one should be compared to James Hurd. But mm. I, I think we have to get used to the new style of leadership. You know, Dyson Heppel looks like he actually wants to go surfing and have a beer with you more than go out and have a kick. But, um, and maybe that's okay. I don't know. Yeah, like, like I said, it needs to it needs to stem from your whole not your whole list, but you, you can't just have one guy. Um, which I, I think that's where we lack is that you know who's next. I I think we've got them on the list. I yeah. think well maybe not there. And Nikki was talking about this already, but I think that young group, and I talk about the core of Laverty, Langford, McGrath, Ridley, 
I think that group is a really driven group. Everyone 24 and under, not to say that some of the players above that aren't driven, but that core that we have in that group, Redmond, I think they're desperate for success. And, and that's certainly the talk coming out of the club that I think they're they're the ones who are going to drive us. Yeah, forward. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, don't want to uh, um, be a bear, not bear of bad news, but we've been gone for an hour and four and we've got a segment on um, if I was list manager, should we dig into that? Yeah, let's let's take a break. And then uh, when we come back, let's play our little game, if I was a list manager. All right, we're back and uh, ready for this segment, if I was a list manager. Nikki, if you were a list manager, what are you doing this trade period? Okay, so I'm I'm assuming I don't think we'll get seven facade. I, I go to I'll go to Carlton. I say we want a first round peak. If I'm Carlton, I'm going to Geelong and they're getting their first two rounders and we take one of them. Then for Joe, personally, so I So why does why does Geelong want uh Carlton's seven? And why um, do they want to give what, thirteen and fifteen for it? Oh, well, they have fifteen and sixteen. So I mean it depends okay. on Geelong. If they want quality youngsters in the top 20, yeah. If they just want a really good top 10 player, go go for Carlton, which I can... I mean, I don't know what Geelong wants, but logically, if I'm Carlton, I'm going after Geelong. Um, yeah, you try and split seven into two. Yeah, days. because I don't think we get seven. If for some, if Carlton can't do anything, we then shop Sard around to, say, Melbourne or another club that wants him with a better pick than Carlton's second rounder, which is 27, to pretty much force Carlton into giving us seven because it's pretty much if you want him, give us seven. Otherwise, he's happy to go to this other club that could be on success. He's going to go there for a better pick. Um, or maybe yeah. he's not happy and we do it anyway. Like, I mean, that's what happens in other sports. You say, right, well, we got the better deal do, from X and away you go. Do AFL clubs have that power though? I think I thought it always has to, in the end, it always goes back to the player because of the, the AFL Players Association. Yeah, I think that only occurs under contract. I think they... They have to. They certainly have to agree under contract. Um, I'm not sure if they're not under contract. Well, if he if we don't have to do that, well then we'll just ship him off to wherever we get the best deal. Because you're pretty much forcing Carlton's hand to say, all right, we'll give you seven. Um, with Danaher, if we're going after Cameron, we force Brisbane to deal for Danaher, so that way the compensation pick will get for Joe. We won't lose for Cameron. I personally think with where Brisbane are at. I reckon we could easily get two first rounders out of them. So that would probably be picks between. So they'll be top four this year and they'll be top four next year. So that's a pick between 14 and 18. I would happily take that. That way we get three first round picks this year, two next year. And then there's talk that we're into Brody as well. Throw our third round pick at Brody if we can get Peter Wright. Uh, two minute Peter involved, go after him as well, just for more depth. Um, but yeah, in terms of draft, that's what I would do for a Big, we need a big-bodied mid, so I'd go straight after Will Brody if he's on the outer, which it looks like he is, um, and also that that key position depth. I don't know any other uh, big-bodied mids in the that are on the outer, but otherwise we head to the draft for him. But we we, we need big-bodied mids. Is uh, well, yeah, that so you go. That's something we didn't discuss earlier was the our midfield, and I think I think our midfield has a problem with quantity, not. With, with quality, not quantity. I think we've got enough, a deep enough midfield, without having an absolute gun player. 
if you know what I mean. They, they were talking about this on the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast um, in that they we have a number of midfielders that are, say, 7 or 8 out of 10s, but no 10 out of 10s, if that makes sense. We're saying about 3 in the league. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not Hazy and Cumberland, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe 4 or 5. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but anyway, go on. Yeah, so I think... I think that what you say, Nikki, in that we need a needing a big body midfielder. I I don't know that we necessarily need a big body midfielder, but I think we need someone who is good at the cold face and can win win the ball at a stoppage, like a Joe Joe Watson type, and which will allow Shield merit those players to get on the outside a little bit more because I think the fact that Shield has to win the ball on the inside, you're not giving him the opportunity to play to his strengths. And I think if you get him as the second possession in the chain rather than the first, I think you get a lot more out of him. He gets time to actually deliver the ball properly. He gets to use his pace. And I think we see a much better player than if we're forcing him on the inside like we are now. Yeah, I just think with the... Like, with the... Big bodied mid, they don't even have to be good. It's just that when you have a, a big player on the ball, just naturally you're going to send a few players to try and tackle him. So if you've got, you know, a whole midfield the same size as McGrath, you can sort of trade off one for one. But you see Dusty and how big he is, you need two, three, four blokes to sort of bring him down. So if you just get someone who's just as aggressive, and Brody's just as big, 190 centimetres, who can just attract attention like that around the coal face then all of a sudden we don't need to start sending an extra midfielder, an extra forward into the midfield to give us – that's why we win so many clearances. Um, in that case, we get a 5v6 uh, in our forward line and we're just kicking it back into the opposition's hands. We sort of – that's, yeah, that's what I reckon about, about a big-bodied mid. So, Will Brody, um, Matty, have you, have you got some inside mail on Will Brody? Uh, oh, jeez. Throw me under the bus. Yeah. Oh, here it comes. Oh. Here's the number 64. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a talk around the uh, Gold Coast camp that he's out, but that that also um, came in at a different time of the year. I think we were still um, in a positive win-loss record, so maybe... Maybe he's changed his mind, but uh, yeah. Well, no, it's very clear that he's out. Gold Coast have said he's out, yeah. but I'm referring to the fact that you suggested that he might be already signed, sealed, and delivered to the Bombers. That was the mail, but uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have the, uh, the guts to put my neck on the line and, and not that... <laughs> Maddie, we've got 17 <laughs> listeners. Well, that's, Come that, on, that is, that is what I've, uh, That's what I've heard, but... Um, we shall see. Hey, I I wonder if he's um, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, if I was him, would I be reconsidering? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If I was him, I'd say there's nothing I want more than to play for the Bombers. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we that's what we want to be hearing. That's what Paul Brasher, my man, would want to be hearing. So is he actually? I haven't seen much of him. Obviously, I don't watch a lot of Gold Coast Suns, and I certainly don't remember ever seeing him. But he, is he that kind of player? He's the same age as McGrath. He was McGrath's draft, and I know we were into him that year. He was one of the ones that we were considering picking up at number one. But is he that kind of talent? Because he can't get a game at the Suns at the moment. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, if he was, um, I think his his potential is uh, is up there certainly. Um, I'm just checking his stats now. He's had 53 against Carlton a couple of years ago. Um, 53 touches. Yeah. No, he didn't. If, am I reading this right? I have to be. No, you're not, because that would be a record. 
Yeah, right. I've got by average. Well, forgive me. Um, Maybe it's 53 oh, totally. Sorry, sorry, it is. Yeah, my, my apologies. My apologies. Yeah, I've, uh, well, I look like an absolute rookie now, don't I? Um, he, did, he, he did have a game where he, he averaged, um, uh, I think there was a, he averaged sorry. a high round of contested possessions and there was a game where he played on Patrick Cripps. And, uh, in fact, it might have been Noodle that, that put me onto this that I went for a stats hunt. I think he played a game on Patrick Cripps and held him uh, to potentially single-digit disposals during that during that period. Uh, yeah. So I forget exactly what game it was. It might have been, might have been 2018. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, we, we seem to think that he might be in that in that mould that, that we need, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I know someone who did that, and that was uh, Dylan Clark. Yeah. So I've got his actual average stats up now. Um, so I I've yep. made myself out like an absolute rookie there. Um, uh, 2019, he's averaged 20 disposals. Um, just seeing if I, can, if I can get contested possessions up. Okay, yeah, nine, so half of those were contested, uh, or nine and a half and 12 uncontested. So... Um, 189 centimetres, 89 kilos, appears to be that sort of type, um, that talent, you know, that inside ball type. I'm not, I'm, I'm assuming he just got pushed out this year. Um, or yeah, maybe Hugh, Hugh Greenwood arriving. Uh, well, that would do it. With Matt Rao. Well, that would do it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, I, I, I certainly think um, that's one to pursue, especially if we're getting cheap. Why not? Um, I, I definitely agree with the two meter Peter. Again, if you can get him cheap, why not? Add to that stock as we spoke about. Um, I, I, I'd love to delve into your inside word you have on Paddy McCart and Nick from your in your Cairo uh, inner circle. Yeah, so so Paddy McCartan, obviously the number one pick who played at St Kilda, key forward, um, a ton of concussions, uh, and and that ultimately ended his time at St Kilda. Now. The media, I don't, I haven't spoken to my friend who did his rehab or was very heavily involved in his rehab. I don't know that he did all the rehab, but he was certainly part of the team that that managed that rehab. Um, now, I, and the only reason I know that is because um, I can put two and two together very well. We, we were talking about particular cases as a um, learning exercise i he he teaches quite a quite a few of the um continued professional development stuff that we do um and without breaking doctor patient privilege he you know being the footy obsessed person that i am i was able to put two and two together um and know that he's it was in fact patty mccartan that he was was dealing with um and if if it's come out in the media that he's ready to make a return to football and a lot of the response has been like, no, this guy, he should never play football again, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if my friend has been controlling his rehab and the other caveat to that, if in fact he has been cleared for football by his rehab group, which you would think he would, he would have been to be coming out of the media saying he's ready to return, then there is no doubt in my mind that he's ready to return and that his concussion issues are no longer an issue for him. Okay, so you're you're basing an assumption that your uh, Cairo inner circle uh, PD um, was working with him, just to just to clarify. Yes, yeah, I do. I know that he was part of the rehab team okay. for for him. 
and inter and specifically for his concussion. So, yeah. So for those concerned about Essendon making a play because of his concussion, if in fact he has been cleared by this team and he's not just deciding to go and try and make a comeback on his own, which, I mean, Kinsley, you you've worked in private practice. How often do you have patients that you say don't do this and they go and do that anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, to my opinion on this particular case is that not not that I'm really qualified to have any opinion, but concussions are always a very different beast, and they're very different, difficult to get a handle on. Uh, every all of them are unique. The only thing you can ever say is if someone has passed all the requirements in a sense to believe that they are stable enough to return then that's all you can do it's then up to the person they need to understand the risks of what further further damage can do but uh if he wants to play and he's not going to cost us a lot you know and then that's that's a possibility yeah because well i think i think there's a potential of of an amazing story to come out of this right imagine a number one draft pick discarded because he's been injured essentially rattled around inside his skull too many times yeah and then he makes a return to Essendon at perhaps its lowest point certainly in the history that I've known of the football club and imagine how driven that young man is going to be to get the absolute best out of himself and I mean he went number one pick for a reason so if you're gonna if he's not gonna cost much why wouldn't you take a chance on him Absolutely. Yeah. As long as it's safe, then I'm okay with it. Mm. Yeah, of course. As long as it's safe for him, right? We, we don't want him to come back and then end up in a much the, worse state. The, the, the other issue is, and my concern about this, um, which is not a reflection on Paddy or his bravery, I think him merely stating that he might want to come back is brave enough. But the first time that he doesn't put his head directly over a football there's going to be questions asked. And first of all, I think that's unfair. And I think we get very nostalgic and uh, the way we wax lyrical about, you know, the hardness of the old days or, or, or whatever makes me puke. But my issue is that it may not be, that it may be that that gets him in the end. That's that's my issue. That there's issues with how, you know, the media operates as the wild, wild west at the moment, which we don't have time to go through today. But, you know, my, my concern is that that's what will get him, not the concussions. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'd hope, um, you know, I suppose that's that's part of the, the being a pro athlete is is being able to switch off and, you know, disconnect him or, or not uh, allow your emotions to be affected by what's being said out there. Um if, if I can just suggest another player who we might be with. Please. Um, Nikki, you might have a little bit more info, but uh, Charlie Constable from Geelong, mm. uh, is he worth a, a look? I haven't got his stats up, but uh, certainly one he's always perplexed me as to why he wasn't getting a game. Is he is he too much of a one-way player? Um, uh, I read an article, I think it was from SEN, right in the Herald Sun, they pretty much, Geelong pretty much said to him, I think it was halfway through last year, you'll never play in a midfield with Dangerfield and Salwood again, so, or whoever, or whoever else in the, Duncan or something like that, whoever else is in their midfield, so I think it, it could be, um, one way, but he's definitely, like, he was averaging, like, 30 posses yeah, close to it in, in his first, first half of the season last year, like, he, he can play, 
It's just whether we can get him to to either start playing defensively, if that's why they weren't letting him, you know, play with danger in that, or if he's just one dimensional and it just doesn't fit in that what Geelong were wanting. Yeah. Are you, are you suggesting that none of those players are defensive and so being the the youngest and freshest, he's the one that gets dropped? Or are you suggesting that they were angry with his lack of defense? I think they may. It might be a mix of both. Like You're not going to tell Danger to go run inside your defensive. You're going to tell Danger, just run forward of center. Like If you're inside 50, like he's dangerous and the ball's in his hand. And that, that's where you want the ball in his hands. Um, I, I, I don't watch too much Geelong games, too many Geelong games, sorry. Um, but I'd imagine it'd be a bit of both where he was just unwilling to, to trot back and just if he was unwilling to do that, it's not going to work in a midfield with what Geelong has. Mm. Well, I say this. Pequeno los dos. Du, 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 du. Um, I'd go after both of them. I'd, I'd add Brody and Constable if if we can get him for the right price. Because it looks like to me, I'm looking at his stats right now. Oh, um, it looks like he came out of Halebury, which um, is that where McGrath's from? No, it's from Brighton. Brighton, That's, boy. Yeah. Brighton. Okay. Um, but he definitely played at Sandringham under 18s, which is where McGrath's from, and he's the same age as McGrath. Uh, so a couple years younger. He's a year. McGrath's younger. 21. Okay. He's turning 22 this year. Constable, I think, is oh. 21 this year. Uh, oh, year my tinfoil hat. Year, year younger. Oh no, the 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 theory doesn't work out. Um, but I thought maybe you could reunite reunite some teammates. Well, Constable would have played as a 17 year old, perhaps in that Sandringham side. Mm, yeah, he might have, yeah. but. I like the look of um, I like the look of 191 centimeters, 86 kilos, contested ball winner. Yeah, and averaged um, um, 22 disposals in his in his or 21 disposals in his in his first year. So yeah, I think he can definitely uh, play he's, he's averaging across his career 17 and a half. Um, but I'm yeah, I'd happily bring Brody and or Constable in for sure. It's um, it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because if if you look at the way we were well. If anyone can discern a, a game plan from the way that we played this year, you, you've got to look at what what part of the field Rutten wants to strengthen the most, right? Because if you look at premiership teams over the last few years, and all the way back to 2006, I think West Coast had an average forward line and an average back line in 2006, but they had a gun midfield. And that carried them with their game plan through to the premiership. And I think it's, it's difficult... Some teams have amazing forward lines that, that win them premierships, amazing defences that win them premierships. It, and it just depends what role we see our players playing. Like if we're going to play rut and ball as we saw it to this point last year, or this year, um, in that we're bombing it down the wing and all we need from our key forward is a contest, then you don't need to spend big money on a Jeremy Cameron. You just need someone big who's not going to get beaten in the air. They're going to bring the ball to ground. And so that frees up the the money and the the trade currency to perhaps bring in an A-grade midfielder from somewhere, like a a Brad Crouch or someone like that, that really feels a need and really load up through that part of the ground. If if that makes sense, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I I think, as I said before, it's going to, you know, we are at a crossroads and it's going to depend what they decide in the war room. Is it... No, we, we are going to look to, to try and stay in finals contention um, and, you know, use the free agency uh, cap space we've got now and use it through free agency. Or are we, uh, is this where we go, no, nah, uh, we've hit rock bottom, 
let's rebuild. And, and from there, well, you know, that's where you go. Okay, Harry Jones, uh, you know, here's your crack at uh, AFL footy. Um, you know, that's when we, we go after load up on draft picks. You know, we go after Brody, Constable, and, you know, we don't look at Crouch or Cameron or Ben Brown and stuff like that. So it, it just depends how we approach free agency. And if I was this manager, would depend on what the club decides the direction we want to want to head in. Um, so yeah, that's 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 my thoughts anyway. Yeah, I um, if I was list manager, I think I certainly go to Carlton and I ask the question of Crips. That's that's no uh. <laughs> no doubt. I don't look and look. I don't think we get a straight swap sard for for Crips, right? I'm not a goose, but if if you can somehow organise a trade where you get Danaher and Sard out and Cripps in, I think I think that you 100% get that done. That's not happening. I think you've got nothing. I can't take this seriously. I can't, I can't if that happens, Dodoro can keep his job for the rest for the rest of his... Until he retires. I don't care. If he pulls that off, it won't happen. It will not happen. Well, the thing is, Patrick Cripps is a restricted free agent next year. So why don't why don't you get in his ear, offer him big money, and no, say, "Look, Carlton, you're going to lose him for nothing next year. He's well, going to don't lose him for nothing because he's a restricted free agent. So you can match it. Well, you can, but then we get the trade done. I think you've just no. gone to Doro there, Nick. You've think... gone full to Doro. I've yeah. gone full yeah. to Doro. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners award you no points, and they are now dumber than having listened. <laughs> having heard that. Um, but I, I think I think certainly you come in and, and you're asking. Well, all right, let's have a look at Carlton. We're not going to get seven, so we're not we're not going to get pick seven because uh, you're talking about getting up towards elite elite player territory for that. I think you get at best their second round pick or a high or a slightly yeah. higher pick, maybe if, in the yeah. 20s, right? If you're willing to pay now, someone three million over five years, it's it's not a second rounder. There's it's no way. Rounder. Yeah, there's no way it's a yeah. second rounder. Well, but. Then, well, then what happens is we have to look at it like what they do in uh, basically uh, the EPL or the soccer. You say, right, we got this guy in on, you know, we paid a million for him. We sold him for five, three years later. Happy days. If we can turn, what was it, a future second round, if I remember correctly, um, a future second round pick into a late first round pick, depending on what Carlton do, and maybe a future second, future, that I'm, 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 I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that because we're still going to have our pick. We're going to get a compensation pick for Joe, which I think we've got a better chance of getting a higher pick. We will potentially get pick seven through compensation, depending. The issue will be uh, obviously what what the offer is. So I well, think then you all... take one of those picks, and depending on you know, not everyone is going to be able to pull up a, a Port Adelaide and go bang bang bang. Um, we're going to get three gun players with three first round picks. It might not be that draft. Looking at it. You look, and I know I'm I'm pulling from from all different sports, but the New England Patriots basically always trade back more picks, more picks, more chances of getting people. You take one of those top ten picks, and unless there is two guns or people that you know are going to fit your system, you take that and you turn it into two picks, either later in the first round and another second round pick, or you use that as currency. Um, I I think powerful. I think with this draft coming up, it's very. It um it's very much compromised with the the academies and stuff. I think certainly okay we don't go after Crips right, but I think we certainly ask the question of Setterfield um, and see if he wants to come and, and play for the Bombers um, because I think there's 
there's something at play there. Like, I can't see Carlton with their salary cap. How are they giving... Who else are they paying? Zach will... What's that? Who, who well, else got Charlie Kerner will, will demand big bucks. Harry Mackay will... will Weedering will, will eventually. Zach, yeah, so, so and, at the but moment, Zach Williams, they, they just offered nine hundred and fifty. Mitch McGovern's on eight hundred a year. Cripps would be on a lot. Doherty would be on a lot. So then it depends on whether they're front loaded, back ended. What's happening with them? It, it, it it's it's possible. It's possible mm. because they've got a lot of other players who wouldn't be on a lot at all. So yeah, yeah. They, yeah. so. But it's an interesting one. Like I certainly asked the question about him. Maybe Matt Kennedy. I don't know. He's a big body. Insider, but he, he he's not really getting a game at, at Carlton, so he might not be worth um, worth questioning about. Um, for me personally, I think we probably try and turn our multiple picks that we either get for Joe, Saad, etc., and we try and trade forward. And I think we try and get early and get um, I can't remember his first name. But the kid called Logan. McDonald. Um, uh, is there a Logan McDonald? Is he... Oh, Log- Logan McDonald. Yeah, 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 that's his first name. Yeah, um, who's apparently the the second best key forward in in the draft this year. Yeah, yeah. dominating the waffle. Dominating. Yes. Yeah. So I think I think that's an option. The other option is um, just taking those three early picks to. The, let's assume we get seven because it's it's AFL fairy dust points and essentially just allows them to give out money. However, you know, picks however they choose um if we end up with six seven and, and 15 for example i i think we're happy to take that to the draft as well and just get three first rounders this year yeah no I, i'd certainly be happy with three first rounders plus a lot of cap space plus the ability to say to some of our young guys uh, and sorry and go after a few um you know on the cusp young guys at other clubs um i i, I certainly think that's a it's a good position to be in yeah it's 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 a tough it's a tough time but you know i i wouldn't want any other list manager at our at our <laughs> club in in a year when two potentially three of our very very good players have all asked to leave yeah no i couldn't agree and more I, yeah and i say that seriously because Dodoro is going to milk every Red cent out of whoever buys these players. Yeah, and then he'll and he's recruit do... midfielder to a five foot two. <laughs> yeah, but but he's actually. I reckon he's the only person at the football club that acts like we're the Essendon of old. If, if you know what I mean, like he he's still got the swagger and still got that arrogance around him that he just doesn't take crap from anyone. Yeah, yeah. No, I certainly yeah. say that. Yeah, sorry, go on, Kim. We. We talk about him every day, and we still can't decide whether he's done a good job or not. <laughs> yeah, I think people because, because people people rip him to shreds, and then you say, "Well, actually, you look at drafts like the Parish draft, and it was incredibly weak, and he probably pulled the one of the best players out of that early one." So yeah, it's 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 an enigma. Yeah, I think people just look at how long he's been at the club, which is like twenty something years, but he's only been the list manager since twenty ten. And if you you start ticking off how many players he's drafted since 2010 and sort of we're trying to become very good players. I think there's something like 10 All-Australians like between like Heppel um, and, and others who've gone to other clubs. I can't pull them off the top of my head. Oh, Hibbard. Is Heppel All-Australian? Yeah, 2014. Oh, wow. Um, and even like picking players like Merritt and, and Fantasia in 2013 when we got stripped of picks. And, like he knows what he's doing. It's just that he's been at the club for so long that people sort of just – using him as a whipping boy when really he's only been list manager for 10 years and he's had to 
deal through the the supplements crisis and now and then deal with them all coming back. That yeah, he definitely had probably the hardest list managing job out of any anyone in the AFL for the past ten oh. years. And I think before that, he had to deal with a Kevin Sheedy that had his finger in every single pie at the football club. And and I think a big part of Essendon being difficult to deal with is because Sheedy would do what I just did and go to Carlton and say, we want Patrick Cripps, right? And he would he would just derail the whole situation. Um, and and I think I think that then perhaps gives the list manager a bad reputation or takes a lot of his ability away and and certainly once Sheedy left we started to see Dodoro really take full control and build a really great list yeah I, I was about to say, I, I've said it many times off air I, I don't feel our list has ever been the issue I mean, obviously now with a couple of guns leaving you know it, it does leave our list a bit uh, of a hole but uh, I think over the last sort of um, from maybe what 12 onwards I don't think it's been our list that's been the problem. It's been more so the, you know, the, the strategy, tactic, executing thing. But I don't think we've actually been like we don't have the cattle. Um, maybe we haven't been able to put ourselves in the elite bracket of cattle. But I certainly don't feel like it's our list that's let us down. I agree, and and I think I mean we spoke about the curse of the crow last last episode um and it's certainly been our ability to get the cattle on the park together consistently i don't think it's been the talent at all yeah no i'd agree uh, i i mean obviously yeah could be better but i don't, I don't think that's what's hold how it's back mm, mm. so we're getting up close to 90 minutes here which again is longer than we expected to go for um what what we're going to do over the next little while, obviously there's not a lot of footy to come. Uh, we'll we'll keep responding to any big stories that break over this off-season, you know, if if more disasters happen or perhaps some good news, perhaps we do sign a, a big player. Um, but what our plan is, is to come back, and I think we'd all agree, is to come back after trade week and have a discussion of where we're at and, and how 2021 is looking. And then as we go into next year, if, you know, if our listenership grows from 17 to 21 and then 21 to 27 and 30 plus, then the fans will demand that we hit, you know, a weekly podcast. But we'll just we'll just see what the feedback's like and, and how we go from this point. But I think it, it's a good point here to um, to call this one a wrap. What do you think, boys? Couldn't agree more. Wrap it. Yep, I agree. Awesome. Well... Thanks for listening to us again on this. You might not be listening in the evening, but it's an evening for us on on this evening. Wednesday, 7th of October, 2020. The day of the rebirth of the SM Football.